How much did you sell it for in the end? So it's multi-million, so it's four. Four mil, yeah. good for you. Yeah. And they said, we'll take off all your customers because we want to migrate them onto our platform. Yeah. We don't want you to do any marketing, no sales, no customer service. All we want you to do is look after your team and keep making the content. Mm. So I was like, that's the brilliant. fucking fun bit. Yeah, brilliant. So you're going to give me a whack load of cash, yeah. pay me a ridiculous wage <laughs> to look after my team and just do this thing that we find the easiest. Yeah. Okay. Welcome to the Eventful Lives podcast. I'm your host, Dodge, and I'm the founder of Bournemouth Sevens, the world's largest sport and music festival. On this podcast, I speak to fascinating people who have all lived eventful lives. If you haven't already, do us a favour, press the follow button and check us out at Dodge Woodall on Instagram, TikTok and YouTube, where we've now had over 40 million views. Eddie Whittingham is a former copper and qualified lawyer from Scunthorpe. But through hard work, a good idea and a bit of luck, he managed to sell his startup in a multi-million pound exit. In only four years, he went from working nine to five to being a sole founder of a NASDAQ-listed company. He saw a gap in the cybersecurity market and executed a textbook entrepreneurial plan, despite never being a cybersecurity expert himself. Eddie now helps other founders reach their potential and fast-tracks their growth through his new venture, GoFounder. This is a real inspirational story for anyone who wants to start up their own business. This is the eventful life of Mr. Eddie Whittingham. Eddie, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks for having me. Good. This, um, I'm looking forward to this one. It's an interesting one. Let's roll all the way back, Eddie. Where did you grow up and how did you get into the world of cybersecurity? Uh, so I grew up in Scunthorpe, a sort of very stereotypical northern steelworking town. Not the uh, most glamorous of towns, I hasten to add. Um, grew up there and then I decided... At the time, sort of coming towards whether to go to university or whatnot, um, kind of fell victim to the sort of, I call it the sort of happy family pack of cards. What what do you want to be? A butcher, postman, yeah. policeman. I chose policeman. Yeah. Um, so I just went into the police. I got a job offer to go in the police. Got in very young, obviously at 18. So it was either go to uni, in theory, get in debt, usual sort of stuff, or go in the police. I decided to go in the police. Should have gone to university, obviously. Yeah. Um I was in the police for just shy of 10 years while I was in the police, studied law to escape it because I realised relatively quickly I didn't want to do that forever. Um, studied law, qualified, got offered a job in Manchester, thought the big shiny offices and the lights of Manchester would, I guess, um, pacify me a little bit. Got there first day, sat down as a trainee solicitor. You have to do two years as a trainee before you qualify and I just hated it instantly. Yeah. Knew yeah. it wasn't for me. Um, so... That sort of really was what started me thinking about starting my own business. Something yeah. I probably had in the back of my mind for a while, but put it off for quite a number of years. So how so? How old were you when you thought about starting your own business? When you were a copper from the age of 18, what, to 28? Yeah. Yeah. Were you enjoying that lifestyle? Mm, not really. I think when I joined 18, I did, because it was it's probably quite a laugh when you're a young lad and yeah. you've got no responsibilities because you've got, you know, you haven't really got a serious girlfriend. You can stay as late as you want, do all the jobs. And some of the, in the police, you, you see some absolutely harrowing stuff that, you know, you want to put to the back of your mind, never want to see again. But some of the stuff you do is funny. It's, yeah. you know, outlandish, you've got camaraderie. It's, you know, you do stuff you'd never dream of experiencing, really. But that wears thin quite quickly. Yeah. So then I think I was a victim probably of kind of that small town mentality where, 
I didn't really know what opportunities were, there were out there. So for me, it was kind of what's the natural progression from the police. And I just happened to be on the phone to a, a lawyer at the CPS, Crown, Crown Prosecution Service at the time. And she was like, oh, have you thought about becoming a lawyer? Mm. Um, I hadn't. But then within a week of that phone call, I'd signed up on a university course to just do that. And yeah. I think mainly as an escape yeah. more than anything else. Yeah. And that's that was sort of the step out of the police. Mm. And when you say you, you stepped out of the police, what year are you talking here? What year did you go in? So I joined in 2004 yeah. uh, and I left in 2013. So that when, when I sort of started thinking about leaving properly, it was probably around 2010. Mm. Okay. And was it that those last sort of three years where you're like, I'm really not enjoying my life. I'm really not enjoying my day-to-day -day work here. Probably earlier than that, to be honest. Yeah, probably like, I think in the police, people get involved and they think it's great because they found like a purpose and all this sort of shit. Mm. But it, I think it starts to wear thin probably from three or four years in. Mm. So it was probably for me three or four years in, I was like, do I really want to do this for the rest of my life? Getting, you know, punch, kick, spat out. Yeah. No one really, you know, no one respects the police really yeah. these days. It's just a fact of life. Do I really want to do that for the rest of my life? Mm. And you... I think if you've got it in you where you think there's more out there anyway, which yeah. I did, albeit I think it was probably a little bit limited just from just from being in Scunthorpe and not seeing many opportunities. I just knew there had to be more out there, really. Did you find when you were a copper that when you weren't in uniform, you were around the town and you're looking at people going, oh, I nicked you last night, or did you have the fear at all? Uh, a little bit. I mean, I, so I grew up in Scunthorpe, really small town. I ended up policing around Scunthorpe, Grimsby Hall. So as soon as I joined the police, I was like, I've got to get out of here. Yeah. So I moved to Leeds. So I just moved to Leeds. Okay. So then it was a city, you know, completely anonymous. No one knew where I was. So that's just to negate that really. Yeah, yeah. And as you were growing up, did you ever have that entrepreneurial spirit in you? You said like you were at the age of 18. And obviously in the, when you're 18, coming from Scunthorpe or anywhere in the country, it's like, what opportunities are there out there, out there are for you? You go, I can be a fireman or a policeman or... You know, if you had a background of lawyers, you might go and choose law, or if your dad was a dentist or your granddad was For you, was it just, did it feel like there was not many opportunities for you? And a policeman was like, well, okay, well, that could be a career. Pretty much, yeah. Like, I, I you know, I'd probably, I'm quite a creative really at heart, so mm. I'd have probably been suited to like, uh, you know, copywriting and mm. things like that. Um, but I just didn't really get that much exposure to that. Mm. It was the school system probably there was quite, stereotypical like you said some of the examples there um so no i don't think i i probably had some entrepreneurial traits mm. if you want to put it like that whether that's me looking back with rose tinted glasses on those traits or not but i probably didn't have anywhere I, 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 almost any role models really probably to look at yeah. to, to to bring that out of me i think yeah and so where was the idea then? You were obviously a copper for 10 years. The last three or four years you weren't really enjoying. You're thinking, well, I need an, I need an escape route, really. You come up with an idea or you met someone saying, well, okay, let's go and do law. Where was it at that point where you're like, I've got an idea that I could sell, I could build a business, create something amazing and potentially flog this one day? Uh, it was very gradual, yeah. truthfully. So I joined the law firm, hated it. Me and the missus at the time had just sort of, we were sat and thinking of ideas that we could do almost just like, almost probably as escapism more than anything. Just like we're in, when you're having a beer, let's yeah. sit and think of what a different life could almost be. Yeah. Came up with a raft of really shit ideas, <laughs> like so many shit ideas. But that's the fun, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, I've got like pictures all of us, like or even on holiday when yeah. we're in like Croatia, all this sort of shit, <laughs> writing out terrible business ideas, coming up with names, because that's the fun bit, isn't yeah, it? The mate. names, the logos, yeah. that's the sexy bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
and kind of tried to be quite methodical about it. Actually, looking at my skill set, yeah. what could I actually do and sell? And when I was in the law firm, we were getting exposed to a lot of, well, private investigators, basically. Yeah. So you, uh, did you stick with the the, the crime? You obviously a policeman involved in crime. When you're in law, did you stick with that part ca- of law? Kind of. It was, a com- it was a large commercial, one of the international sort of commercial law firms. Yeah. Um, and then I got involved in the commercial litigation department, but they had a, a sort of crime angle. So it was kind of, it was more corporate crime. Yeah, okay. um, so business related crime. As in fraud? Yeah, fraud, um, corporate manslaughter. Um, so, like, say, corporate manslaughter. Yeah. So, if What's someone, that? so if someone dies in a workplace, basically, you know, is Dodge Woodall responsible for someone dying when yeah. they're setting up the podcast studio? Yeah. That sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, which sounds dead sexy than it is. It's just a lot of reading, boring yeah. stuff, to yeah. be honest. And I, we, we, I was starting to see these invoices come through from private investigation companies, and like, you know, private investigation is not exactly a sexy. Uh, industry, mm. it's unregulated. There's loads of dodgy charlatans involved, yeah, yeah. and I was kind of thinking, "Fucking hell, I could do that with my hands yeah. time on my back. That's like easy money." Yeah. What sort of what sort of what sort of money were they talking about? Checks coming in? Was it big? Not, not loads. Probably like you know, to do to run like a, a debt report on somebody. So looking at their assets that they own, that yeah. sort of thing, to find out whether they're worth suing, for example, yeah. would be kind of bread and butter to a corporate investigation yeah. company. Two hundred quid, three hundred yeah. quid. Yeah. Not a lot of money. Um, Or if they had to do some sort of like surveillance operation, you'd be talking, you know, two grand a day, probably. So is that when your ears pricked up when you saw like two grand? A little bit, because I was thinking, well, these tossers are only paying me two and a half grand a month. So like, and I'm working 60 hours a week. I was like, I can bang that in it. Yeah, I can bang out a 300 quid report in an hour. So I thought, well, fuck it. Yeah. I think I could do that. Yeah. And I also thought, private investigation industry is pretty unsexy. I've got a credible background, 10 years as a cop, qualified lawyer. There ain't one of them in that industry. Yeah. Let's see if we can do that. So did I want to do that? Did I really want to start a private investigation? Did I fuck? Like, yeah. That's not what, you know, can you imagine telling that to my mum? Mum, yeah. I'm going to leave the police to be a solicitor. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. Fancy. Yeah, like that. And then, uh, by the way, I've just qualified as a solicitor. You've just told all your pals, yeah. I'm now going to be a private investigator. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I didn't, yeah, I didn't really want to do it, but it just was an out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, started kind of you know built a business, uh, built a website, all that sort of shit. Did a bit of networking around Manchester. Had a few contacts anyway from what I was doing, and, and just started that. So mm. I didn't, I didn't start my business with a view to thinking I can sell a business. It was just almost can I replace the wage that I yeah that I'm, that I'm earning now? Um, and I'd only just qualified as a lawyer when I when I quit. So I, as a trainee, I was on twenty five grand. Yeah. Just qualified, I was on forty grand. Yeah, not mega money by any stretch but yeah. i thought well if i if i stay too long on 40 grand yeah i'm never gonna make the jump yeah. because i'll be too used to the money we'll get a mortgage blah 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 yeah so i thought fuck it rip the band-aid off and how old were you at that time uh 30 so you're 30 so basically yeah. you had been in you had been working for people all the way for those 12 yep. years yeah and now it's time to set yourself free yeah that was the theory so set up a, uh, i joined like an accelerator program in manchester which was largely shit but what was good is there was other people who who were starting a business or were a bit further ahead in the journey than I was. So it gave me the opportunity to kind of surround myself with people who were maybe dreaming a little bit bigger. And then busy doing various um, sort of private investigation stuff. I, I did it for basically a year, maybe made 40, 50K. Yeah. So, you know, I'd, I'd done what I set out to do, which is replace my wage. I kind of got that bit between my teeth then where I was like, 
surely there's more to business than this though like yeah. how do you then how do you make that step up yeah. and sell that's that's the ultimate goal right yeah. um so then my mindset started to shift a little bit probably actually only six months into the journey i, I listened to a talk at some event where uh, this person had basically made something um scalable mm. that you could build once and sell a hundred mm. times a thousand times and that got my mind really ticking and I was, and I, I literally went away from the talk. The talk was in the the office space where we're at. Went back from the talk, went back to my desk, and just started scribbling down. Right, all the stuff that I can do, all the stuff that I've got knowledge in, all my expertise. What could I possibly make a scalable solution out of? So I was scribbling it down like fraud, corporate crime, kind uh, of reduce fraud. Would people pay for that? Would businesses pay for that? And within the sort of hour, I, I ended up with a one-page kind of overview of this idea, which I gave the world's worst name to, was which that? was going to be called the Business Fraud Prevention Partnership. <laughs> really catchy. <laughs> um, but the theory behind it was it was going to be like a membership. So you, businesses would do it and they'd get a rubber stamp yeah. and they could put it on the letters or yeah. some shit. No, yeah, one would, yeah. no one would do that, yeah. obviously, but yeah, yeah, yeah. that was what I was trying to sell. Yeah. And it was going to include everything in the kitchen sink it was going to have anti-fraud and bribery policies because obviously the law firm were banging them out at three grand a pot yeah it was going to have <laughs> online training about anti-money laundering because all the anti-money anti-money laundering training is dull as shit yeah it was going to have like a helpline so you could ring up and get some advice yeah god knows what i'd have done if someone yeah. would have actually rang up <laughs> um you could have like a a system to report i just completely lifted and nicked this from the police actually it's called bad apple reporting yeah and the idea is in the police, you could report, you could shop your colleagues if you saw them doing something yeah. you didn't like. So I thought, well, yeah, we could do that. That's yeah. great. So I ended up with this big, long thing. But I thought, fuck it. I think I could sell that. And people would pay a subscription. Not a lot, but people would say, pay a subscription to. Went around, did a load of networking events in Manchester, chatting to business owners. Would you buy it? Mm, we only probably would use that bit, yeah. which was the training. Yeah. And then very, very quickly narrowed down that long, list of services into one thing which was online training around fraud but that wasn't really a big enough area um to kind of build a business out of so i started doing a bit of research found online that there was these companies basically selling fraud and cybersecurity training so how to teach employees how to spot phishing emails make strong passwords that sort of shit and i was like well that's not hard yeah. like that information's on the internet i'll yeah. just I'll just fucking Google it and I'll yeah. just make some training that's better. <laughs> yeah. And that was it. Because yeah. the training, you know, you've probably been subjected to yourself. The training online generally is dog shit, isn't yeah. it? It's all like Boring. someone holding yeah. a whiteboard yeah. and they've copy and pasted some yeah. sort of PowerPoint presentation on yeah. top of. So I thought, fuck it. We'll just we'll just do that, but better. Yeah. And I'll just blag that I've got some knowledge about cybersecurity, basically. And that was that was the start of your journey. Yeah. So that was really I'd started the business, this the private investigation business in the February of twenty sixteen. And then come the August time, I just kind of got the the foundations and idea settled for what would become the Business Fraud Prevention Partnership, okay. which then later uh, rebranded to the Defence Works, which is what I sold. Okay. Um, so it took me that six months where I was doing the private investigation. I didn't love it because I wasn't doing work I was proud of. I didn't really want to do it. But it was almost like a, a business apprenticeship for me in yeah. a way. And it made me see opportunities. So I'm, mm. I'm glad I did it, and I'm glad I'm glad I made that step. I think 
I think some people, when they're thinking about starting a business, they think they have to jump into the final yeah, thing. No, you don't. Nah, you, no. don't do you build something on the side. Correct. And like you said earlier, see if you can replace your salary yeah. and then go from there. And it pivots, doesn't it? Yeah. It changes over time. And that's what mine did. It changes every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, quite. Exactly. Like this entrepreneur world, I've never had a job in my life. So, but I just, this is all I know is entrepreneurship. It changes every day. Exactly. But that's the fun. But that's the fun. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And that's what I, and that's what I started to really enjoy about and I got properly into because I was like, well, rather than spend, you know, rather than making a, Report that's going to take me an hour, two hours for 300 quid. I can build this this training now once and sell it a hundred times, thousand times. Yeah. It doesn't matter. So again, it I, I didn't overcomplicate it, to be honest. I had a really shit laptop still at the time. I, I got um, a trial of some software that you could make e-learning on. I got like an animation tool for 70 quid a year, um, which is like a sort of whiteboard animation yeah. back when that was popular where it sort Someone of draws it on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, they were good back in the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. They were kind of, it was a bit, it was kind of new, new. at the time. Yeah, so yeah. I kind of got away with yeah. it. Everyone thought I'd paid for animation when I had yeah. them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> got my missus to do the voiceovers yeah. just to keep costs down, which obviously she, she loved. Yeah. Um, and I just made one training module. Mm. So I made one module on the most popular topic, which was phishing emails. Which is what? Phishing? Phishing emails. What's that? So like when you get a, a fake email saying, Dodge, log into your Apple ID because your password needs resetting and it's, right. it takes you to a dodgy website. Right, okay. you, you type your password and then they've got your password. Okay. okay. Um, so I just built one and I thought, right, I'm not going to go any further with this until I've sold this to somebody. Yeah. So I did. So I went along, found someone willing to, well, I mean, I say willing to take a risk, 15 quid a month. Yeah. That's okay. all he was paying. So, that's what, so yours, yours was a subscription basically. Yeah, subscription month, 15 quid a month. Uh, yeah, it depended on the size of the client. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this my first client was 15 quid a month, which is laughable, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I built one training module and I sold it 15 quid. I was like, well, I'll just keep selling that. Yeah. But in the meantime, he signed up to get new training now every month because that was what I sold him yeah. on the base of. So then it got me into the cadence of I was re- releasing brand new training every single month. Um, and yeah, based on the constant hunt for new clients who I could sell the first module to. And then every month we made new training. They, you know, the, the client who I just signed up, well, they had six months or 12 months worth of training. Yeah. So it became easier as time went on, basically. Yeah. How much money do you reckon you invested in this business at the start? Just to give the listeners out there, that yeah, you don't have question. to have a shitload of money to go and do a business like this. Like, it's, No, you don't. Yeah. I think, so the private investigation company probably started with about a grand because yeah. I needed to, um, buy a bit of equipment. Although actually, that's a good point. I, I, I bought loads of like private investigation equipment mm. that I never fucking used. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought I needed it to look the part. Yeah. I was looking at fucking surveillance vans and all sorts when I first started. Never would have used them because I pied it off after six months. Yeah. Um, but then the, yeah, the online learning business, yeah, next to nothing. I had my laptop, which I already had, which was my missus' old laptop from work. I had a free trial of the software, which I eventually had to buy, which was a grant. Mm. So that was quite that was quite a punchy investment. But I'd already started making money at that point because mm. I basically just did like four or five different trials yeah. on different Names. email addresses. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I had that I had that animation software, which was seventy quid, um, and I just blagged the rest of it. I bought a half decent microphone on second hand on the website on mm. on eBay on on a website for fifty quid. So probably. Yeah, less than, less than a grand. So how did for you? Sure. How did you like? You, you, you're grabbing information off the internet, Google, da, 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 and making something better that's currently out there, and done it on very little money. How can you make a business out of selling something for fifteen quid? <laughs> well, I think that was just uh, 
confidence thing, probably. Yeah. I needed someone just to go. I believe in you. Yeah. Like, there's 15 quid. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> 15 yeah, quid. Because it was, you know, fucking hell. I'd, you know, I wouldn't have even got out of bed for yeah. less than a grand a yeah. contract later down the line. Yeah. So our average contracts by the time we were selling uh, was two and a half, three grand a year. So it's still not mega massive, yeah. but then some contracts were like 25, 30, 40, 50 grand a year. Yeah. Um, and I just, it became a bit of a motto in my house, actually. I used to say, if I can get one customer, I can get 10. If I can get 10, yeah. I can get 100. Yeah. And that's what we did. So yeah. I got one, got a case study out of it, got another case study out of it, started adding them to the website, um, had a competitor actually who set up at the same time in Manchester as us, who uh, decided he wanted to take the piss out of me on LinkedIn, messaged me on LinkedIn. Your f- case studies are dog shit. You've only got really? like you've only got like fifty employees between all the case studies. This was like a couple of days before our rebrand was about to go live, yeah. and we had we had West Ham as a client. Yeah, did you? We had, yeah, we had we had Fulham. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> uh, we had Gusto. We had Taylor Wimpy. Like loads of decent. Yeah. So he was like giving me loads of shit a couple of days before this massive rebrand yeah. was about to take place. But I don't know. It's about that. You, you start small. Yeah, you, you'll know. Yeah. You, you, you've got to start somewhere, haven't you? Mm. And at the time, fifteen quid for something I just literally plucked out of my head, yeah. felt like mental. I thought yeah. there's something in there. It's a win. Yeah. You're winning for someone to actually part and give you their de- contact details of a credit card and actually pay, part of 15 gives you the confidence to go, one can do it, like you said, Correct. 10 can do it, 100 could do it, 1,000 can do it. When I, you know, I obviously that's 15 quid, but it was every month. It was yeah. signed up for a contract. It was coming out via a direct debit. I, used, I was using GoCard at the time. Yeah. And then I remember getting one at 100 quid a month. And then 200 quid a month, yeah. 500 quid a month. I said to my missus, I was like, fucking hell, I'll be able to hire someone in a minute. Yeah. Like we're getting there towards where we need to be. Yeah. Um, but again, I I think probably something that people don't maybe do enough is I was really keen to keep sacrifices. So I, I took, as I didn't take any money for at least a, a year after starting the sort of um, the defense works. Cause I just, whenever that opportunity arose to kind of give myself that wage, I, I hired someone instead yeah. because I wanted to try and grow the business. Yeah. So it was kind of self-investment, bit of a gamble. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to be in the position where I didn't have kids and things like that at the time. So I could take that risk. Mm. Um, but I think that self-investment massively played a part in the the longer term success yeah. really because I could get ahead. So then I had like that guy who was in Manchester who was giving me the shit on LinkedIn. Yeah. They'd had a quarter of a million pound investment. Yeah. But we were- Bootstrapping it. Yeah, bootstrapping yeah. And, and performing as well, if not outperforming them. Even though they had technically had a head start of mm. half, you know, quarter of a million mm. quid. How were you? What was important to you at the start of creating the business? Was it the, 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 the name? Was it the website? Was it the brand? What, what was what was really important to you at the time? I think, like most people, when you're naive to business, mm. you think the brand's the most important mm. thing in the world. Mm. Um, it takes so years to create a good brand, solid brand. It, yeah. it does, and. Yeah. But everyone gets way too caught up in the bullshit of, oh, I need a good name. I mean, I didn't, obviously, because I called it business yeah. for French matchup. <laughs> but you get caught up in the why of the name. Truth is, fuck it. Just yeah. get it out there. Yeah. I think, personally, yeah. you can always rebrand. And actually, when we rebranded, it really revitalized our customer base yeah. because they were probably maybe getting a bit tired, on my perception, maybe getting a bit tired of the brand and the training. But the rebrand almost propelled you. Again. Yeah, give us new life. Level, yeah. 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 How are you marketing? We, we did, I did loads of shit on LinkedIn, like deliberately provocative stuff, yeah. which wasn't very hard in cybersecurity because it's dry as yeah. tits, obviously. Yeah. Um, but we did like a cybersecurity Kama Sutra book where those really obscene images of people getting jizzed in the face with yeah. 
mice from computers and all sorts of stuff <laughs> just to get attention we did we did I, I don't even know why i wish i knew i wish i knew quality though because but, you're but, saying well and we got we got off that we got a lead off channel four yeah because the guy was like that is fucking yeah. hilarious yeah we want in yeah um we did <laughs> what other stuff did you do uh we nothing as bad as that yeah. we did uh you remember Sega Mega Drive back in yeah. the day? So we did like, we bought loads of old Sega Mega Drive games um, and stickered them up with like a brand new cybersecurity game. So all our branding, but made the full the full shebang. So the whole, the whole thing, the inlay, the yeah. cartridge, mapped it all up and just sent them out in the post to loads of people. And that got loads of feedback, like yeah. loads of mega, mega interest from that. Yeah. Just because it was a bit different and it, it hit our target audience. Yeah. Our target audience were forty plus bald yeah. males who played Mega Drive <laughs> thirty Back in years the day. ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so they like, well, this is fucking ace. Brilliant. So that you know stuff like that. But to be honest, most of our growth really once we got up and running, the initial bit was like grind face to face networking bollocks. Yeah. yeah. But then it was paid ads. Like yeah. Google ads just was super super predictable for us. Turn the tap on. That's how much I want to spend. So we were spending 10, 20, 30, 40 grand a month on, on Google Ads at one point, and it was returning. So it was, Google it was Ads a no is brainer. Wasn't yeah. it? It's a literally a no brainer. Once you've got a business model that works, you can just turn Provide, it off. Yeah, exactly. Providing you've got a good product. Exactly. Yeah. And you, and you can measure it. Like yeah. you, you can equally just spend shit loads without even realizing what you're doing. Especially, exactly. did, you use, did you use any of the other platforms, your TikToks, your Instagram, your Facebooks? Well, TikTok weren't really around. Yeah. Instagram, I didn't. Um, we just we pretty much focus on LinkedIn yeah. and Google Ads because yeah. it was kind of a question of where are my clients, the the middle aged, yeah. bald, forty year old men, yeah. um, and the answer to that probably was mostly on LinkedIn. Did you spend any money on LinkedIn? I tried it. It didn't work for me yeah. personally. Have I've you never, tried it? No, I've never tried it because I've heard it's really expensive. But I've also. Yeah. When you've got, for us, obviously for our different brands, whether it's Bournemouth Sevens Festival, uh, uh, the event crowd, our new online events course, we, we're doing Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, yep. and obviously Google Pay-Per-Click. Google Pay-Per-Click is a banker yep. because people are really interested because they're typing it in. And then Facebook. It's really yeah. powerful because you can target specifically yeah, exactly right down to, right the, down to the age, that, to the sex, to the everything. The, the challenge we had with that, because we tried to do that, the challenge we had was our target audience were hyper-privacy conscious. Right, okay. So like they used to, Lads have their Facebooks massively locked down. We used to do quite a lot of email marketing, mm. which they fucking hated because yeah. we were just spamming them. Yeah. We were meant to be anti-spam. So we yeah. ended up doing a few like campaigns around that because people used to call us out for spamming them. Yeah. But you've got to grow. Nothing wrong with a bit of spamming. Nah, you've, you've got, got to grow a business. business yeah, you, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> needs must, you know what I mean? <laughs> Sauce. <laughs> so then, so 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 what, what did you turn over in your year one? <laughs> roughly. Year one would have, would have, Included the private investigation, so yeah. I think it was like sixty k. Okay, so it wasn't, but, but it my, was all right. But my but my point is out there the way the world is at the moment and the way Instagram is and everyone talking about oh, I did oh, a yeah. million pound in year one. Yeah, Actually, mate. let's get freaking real here. Sixty G's in year one, well done, and that's decent. Yeah, mate. Yeah. You know, I speak to business owners all the time, and you know, you do well to do 10, 20, 30 in your first yeah. year. To be honest, because yeah. you, you, it's that, it's that. What I said earlier, it's that, it's that business apprenticeship, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, people who are doing 100K in the first year, great if it's true, probably a load of bollocks. Yeah. Uh, and if it's generally the ones that I have known who've said, well, I've done 100 grand in year year one. Well, y y yes, you have, but it's your fucking fourth business, love. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's not quite as transparent as what they're making out. Yeah. Um, 
And as you're going along, like year one, you know, when setting up a business, it takes time to create a business, a profitable business takes time. Was it year one? Did Obviously, you were new to entrepreneurship here. You, you know, you had 10 years being a copper and two years in, in, that, in the corporate world. You still wouldn't have known whether you were on the right trajectory financially. You'd have just gone, oh, I've just done 60 Gs. What was the next, what was the step for you that took it from year one of doing 60 Gs to go, oh my God, I could be onto something here? I think, I think it was even as, it was probably even before, it was, it was as simple as someone's paying me 15 quid a month. Yeah. And then it was someone's paying me a hundred pound a month. Someone's paying, unless I fuck that up, yeah. they're going to carry on doing that. Yeah. So, it, and this is why I love subscription models. I think it's such a great, uh, model for businesses if you can if you can find something that works for it because you can then start building so at the start of month you haven't got to find your sales again you've already got two grand in the, yes. in the bank guaranteed like five grand. yeah on a run rate before time, you yeah, yeah before you've even started so yeah. then projection wise becomes a piece of piss because yeah. you know exactly what you're gonna you're gonna be you know your outgoings are your incomings are and that's before you get any wins yeah um so in theory you should just keep adding to that and so yeah. then you know it becomes predictable. The thing, again, I think a lot of early stage businesses don't do that. I didn't initially, but I, I learned quickly to do was to measure that because I could measure, you know, how many leads we'd get from Google, how many conversions that would relate to. So therefore I could start looking at the numbers and going, fucking hell, yeah. if we keep this up yeah. in a month's time, in a year's time, in two years time, that's where we're going to be. Yeah. All we've got to do is plug in, make sure we've got enough sales staff to help support it or, or whatever the, the things that you need to scale are. But, it becomes so much more predictable than starting from blank every single month. Yeah, agree. Totally agree. Did you find with Google uh, pay-per-click that there was a limit to people, the amount of people that actually searching for this? Like each month, was yeah. 3,000 people searching, 10,000 people searching. You go, well, there's actually a limit to this. So we know pretty much that just purely on Google, we should be hitting 10, 20, 30, 50 sales a month or whatever, whatever your numbers were at the time. Was there a limit on that? Yeah, I think for what we did, it was always going to cap out. Some stuff, you know, if you're B2C marketing, World Your Oyster Internet, yeah. but for us, B2B, business business, it was yeah. it was always going to cap out. But what was really interesting for us at the time, you know, you know we were a tin pot outfit in Manchester, yeah. completely bootstrapped, you know, dog shit name at the time, all that sort of stuff, and a complete rookie owner. Yeah. But there's players in our market space. One had just been valued at a billion dollars. One had just yeah. turned over in the preceding year, a billion dollars, a billion dollars. And then there's us like, and me just fucking fumbling away. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But the reality is, and I think people don't always understand, those big businesses are so fucking slow. Yeah. They cannot innovate. They can't do anything quickly or anything good. Yeah. So that gives the small businesses the chance to do something different. And that's, that's the pivotal moment, I think, for us when I started to think, we're onto something that could even be sold as well. So we'd built some training. It was all right. Um, You know, it was, it was, it was definitely better than what was out out in the market, but I wanted to push it a bit further and be a bit more creative with it. So we did, we did two things. We, uh, we hired a full-time animator, which. Is that, was that your first hire, an animator? Yeah. Uh, No, sorry, it wasn't second hire. So So the first hire was a fantastic girl called Jess. She joined, was almost like, well, I did the rookie thing. I, she joined as a business development manager. Yeah. So my theory was, yeah, someone else can help me sell. Yeah. No, no one, one can no sell one, better no, than you. No, yeah. Correct. Yeah, so yeah. very quickly realized, well, actually, no, I'm the better seller. So yeah. I'll give her the work that frees me up yeah. so I can sell. Yeah. So she became a bit of a jack of all trades and almost like the number two. Yeah. 
And then my next hire was an animator. And everyone's like, why, why hire an Amazing. animator? That's I love that. such a stupid, well, people thought it was a stupid thing to yeah. hire because- I don't. Yeah, no, I, I don't. Yeah. Because it, the, you know- The power the, is in the visual. Correct. Yeah. And it was a creative business at the end of the day. So we hired an animator. Then the other thing I did, I had uh, two mates who I'd met years prior. So when I was in the police, as uh, probably, I might have ADHD or something, I think, but- mm. I had days off in the week and I didn't really know what to do with them because my mates were all at work. So yeah. apart from going to the gym, what, yeah. what do you do? So I used to volunteer at a radio station in Leeds, yeah. just a probably a bit of a creative outlet more mm. than anything. Met these two lads, Larry and Paul. They'd started their own YouTube channel doing comedy sketches. And I was like, they could make videos for cybersecurity using their skills as like comedy creators. They'd done some stuff for BBC comedy as well at that point. It's like, fucking hell, I'll have a word with them. So sat down and said, if I give you these five learning points, mm. can you make a funny video for mm. it? So they went away, made this genuinely funny video, yeah. which I knew was completely different to anything that was out there in the in the cybersecurity sort of training space. And I said, right, well, fine, let's commit. So you do two of them every single month. So then within a couple of months, I had a full-time animator banging out like really original content, Brilliant. something a bit different, bit of a fresh tone of voice, a bit edgy as well. Yeah. Then we had two decent level comedy sketches, live ac live action sketches going out every single month. And it's that's when it started to shift, I think, because it we became almost a bit of a content production house yeah. more than anything else. Yeah. So then when we were coming up against these juggernauts who turn over a billion dollars, they could give these fantastic insights and reports and these programs that looked like, you know, fancy. But I, I just went in with a very simple message was look at their training. It's shit. Yes. Your employees are going to hate doing that and they're not going to listen to a single thing. Look at this training. They're going to enjoy it. They're going to ask you for more. They're going to learn something. Mm -hmm. So you can have all the fancy reports and all the fancy systems, but what a fucking waste of time. Yeah. You may as well spend the money with me. That's, that's kind of what happened eventually. Love it. What a great angle you found there. Was there, when you looked at these big, massive companies, because... I love being an entrepreneurial company, but we're, I feel like we're a speedboat. You can make a decision yeah. bam, and take it. We're not like a big QE2 that takes three months to make a decision. Yeah. We make a decision today and we're going to go with it. Was there something you saw in these big, massive companies that you were getting information out constantly going, well, if I can create everything that they're currently, currently creating and just add and build mine, I'm going to be waving at them to say, you can buy me one day. Definitely. So I think we, in the marketplace, one of them that had already been valued at a billion dollars had started. So to, who who was valued at a million? Uh, it was a company called No Before. Okay, and is that an English British company? Uh, U.S. U.S. company. Okay. Yeah. So the two the main players at the time yeah. were, were U.S. based. So there's No Before who'd just been valued at a billion dollars, yeah. and then there's another one called Proofpoint which had just turned over a billion dollars. So okay. God God knows what they're both in America. Was, yeah. Okay. And uh, what I started to see in the marketplace when I started paying a bit more attention as I matured a little bit yeah. as a business owner was No Before were acquiring. Brilliant. Random like content houses, stuff, people similar to mine that were creating content, but they're still buying the ones that were making shit content, really. Yeah. Yeah. So I just thought, well, we're now at the stage where we're winning contracts against these big players. Let's try and make a bit of a deliberate play to, to wave at them yeah. effectively. Yeah. So we did something really um, proactive, and I think it was quite a positive step for us, where we just made a campaign to try and get as many reviews as humanely possible in the shortest period of time um, from, from our customers. And at the time, 
for the, the sector I was in, um, it was called Gartner Peer Insights. So it's like Trustpilot, yeah. but it was very niche for yeah. what we do. Yeah. So we basically, we, just had, we literally set up an email campaign followed by a call campaign. And if they didn't reply to the emails, then the customer service manager would ring them. If they didn't uh, respond to them, mm. I'd ring them because mm. I knew most of the clients anyway, because yeah. I'd yeah, signed yeah, yeah. them up. Yeah. So we just targeted them over the space of three months. Are you happy with everything? Yeah, right, great. Will you leave us a five-star review? Yeah, okay, here's the link. Quality. Crack on. Are you happy with our stuff? Well, actually, I've done that. i then see you later. <laughs> like, fuck that. Fuck yeah, exactly. We don't, we don't want that. Yeah. So we ended up going from, from no reviews yeah. to about 150 reviews in the space of, I think, three, four, five Brilliant. months. All four, all five star bar one, yeah. which was a four star review, which obviously yeah. slipped through the net. Yeah, um, <laughs> but four star is also nice because they're just yeah. looking through to the four star, and if it's still a nice write up, they take yeah, it as a correct. five. Yeah. yeah, and I said that one, that's the one that keeps us humble. Yeah, um, but obviously we just fucked off all the little ones. Like, <laughs> no, don't, don't bother with them. Um, or, or, or if they said we want to leave, it, like go to another website where yeah. no one's going to look at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so all of a sudden, you know, from the big organisation point of view, not only were they coming up against us from like a demo perspective, because normally they get demo from three companies, much yeah. like you get quotes. We were winning relatively consistently. We had, we had a good hit mm. rate against the big players. Mm. And then that happened as well. Um, so we definitely kind of started waving yeah. around and saying, hey, you know, Take a look. Yeah. That's quality. Do you remember what you turned over in year two? Mm, not off the top of my head. I, I think it was probably... I'm going to guess roughly, it. Roughly. 100, 150 maybe. Okay, because I'm just trying to keep this... But it, in, it, it almost like doubled you. Yeah, double. I'm just trying to keep this for listeners out there that, to show a, a real... This is a real business. Yeah. Of someone yeah. coming out of an idea, winging it, all of a sudden finding opportunities, then taking it to the next level with the creative level, and then actually going, well, actually the sums are still quite small, yeah. but this is real. Yeah, yeah. You know, but 150 Gs is still a a, a lump... To get in, you know, the amount of people you're getting in, the contracts, et cetera. What was it in year three? So year three was probably 300. Brilliant. And then year four when I sold, we I think we had, year four when I sold, we had like 400K in subscription payments. Yeah. And then about 200, 250 in, um, you know, like additional stuff like custom one-off stuff. Stuff, yeah. Okay. So yeah, about six, 650. And when, when was the point on that four-year journey when you were like, I really want to sell this. I don't know if I almost got to that point. So we kind of waved our hands because I wanted year, to what, get In what attention. year did you sort of wave for the we, attention of the big that, guns? That would have been in... Your year year two? Year three. Year three. Okay. Yeah, year three. But I don't know if I... This sounds really a bit daft. I almost didn't probably know too much about selling businesses yeah. at that time. I still relatively knew. I, I knew like... It was good to get their attention yeah. and that might lead to something eventually. Yeah. But it still came out of the blue because, you know, I, there's some things I probably would have done differently mm. um, because we, I was just quite happy, busy, quite happy and busy building the business. Yes. When I got approached, I got just approached on LinkedIn, just got a LinkedIn message really? saying from one of the big American companies saying, would you be interested in collaboration? And I was like, yes, yeah. probably. Yeah. Um, but, but interestingly, Two of the big American companies both reached out within the same month to to tap me up. One wanted to license our material. One wanted to buy the company. Mm. Um, Which one pricked your ear up? Well, yeah, the one, yeah, the obvious <laughs> the one. Obvious one. <laughs> license my company. Yeah, oh, yeah. cannibalize my own business. Yeah, <laughs> let's do that. Um, yeah, 
uh, Bob's up. <laughs> I led him. I led them along to make yeah. sure I didn't cut my nose off because yeah. if they if that had fell through, it could have been quite lucrative. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. I think I probably was quite naive to sell my business. It took me a while to kind of come around to that idea. It was probably only the the, the real catalyst was that that message on LinkedIn. Yeah. Because I would have done. Was a that few. A, was that a random message, or were you already had yeah, open never conversation? Connect, no, never been connected. Not even connected. Not with even connected. No. But he kept. I didn't even know you. who he was. That's a great sign that the, your content on LinkedIn. It doesn't matter if people are liking it or commenting. It, yeah. Everyone gets to see it. Even if you're doing cybersecurity karma sutras with yeah. people getting spaffed in the yeah. face. <laughs> <laughs> so and that didn't put them off. So no, that'll be a lesson. Good. So that'll be a lesson. Um, Although they did take, they did tell me to take some of the content down when they were, when they were acquiring it. Yeah. <laughs> so this is this is this is amazing. Sixty Gs year one. Like we're talking rough now. Yeah, yeah. Sixty Gs year yeah. one. Ton fifty two. Three hundred year three, year one, yeah, and then basically. five six hundred. Yeah. How did when you were looking at those numbers when you got to five six hundred? How many full time staff did you have? How did you grow? Obviously, you said year one you had your right hand woman Nick with you, yeah. and then you had the animator, and then so yeah, year one would have been. Started in the February, didn't hire till the November, December. Yeah. So that there'd have been two of us at the end of that year. So you plus one. Yeah. Yeah. Then in that second year, probably took on two or three or four. Yeah. And then then the third year, another three or four. Yeah. Obviously, there's a couple of bad eggs in there Can't that we had to get. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I think in total by the end, we were probably eight to 10 staff. That's a wonderful number of people. I think yeah, I think anything under 12 is a lovely number. Yeah, because they're, they're- You're a team. Yeah, sounds a bit cliche. Yeah. You are a proper team, proper Absolutely. life family, and you know them inside out, don't you? Yeah. Whereas I think when you get a bit bigger, it When you go 13, harder. 14, 15, 18, 19, 20, hierarchy, gossip, everything else yeah, gets involved. Yeah, yeah. That tip sounds I completely sounds agree. When was the, how did you feel when that random uh, message popped up on LinkedIn from the one who said, would you be interested in selling? How did it make you feel? Uh, I don't know. That's that, that's that, that's that feeling right there where you're like, shit, yeah, this could be amazing. Yeah. Like that's that, that, that feeling you get in the pit of your stomach. Yeah. How much? Yeah. How much? Basically. How yeah. much? That's what yeah. you're thinking, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. But you just, I don't know. It seemed, it still was so far off. Cause that, so that, I got that message in the August. Um, of 20, 2019. 19, okay. Uh, my first daughter was born in the October of 2019. Yeah. And the conversations carried on between the August to the May of 2020. Yeah. And the usual sort of stuff when you're selling a business, as you, as you know. Yeah. You know, there's hot and cold. Yeah. And you, you have lulls and yeah. it's definitely not happening Silly anymore. mind games and chess. Yeah, and, correct. Yeah, who's making the next move? Who's going to speak first? Yeah. Who's what the next, uh, yeah. yeah, like yeah. me and my missus having that conversation. Do we, do we email them? Yeah, no, because we... if we email them, they're going to knock a million off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, it, yeah, that just carried on um, for quite a while. But the, the the thing that I found hardest with that was trying not to be distracted. Yeah. Obviously, couldn't let on to the staff because yeah. if it didn't fall through, we've still got a business to run and grow. Um, obviously, I had that other big company inquiring about licensing. But I think the mistakes I probably made, because it came out of the blue, yeah. if I could have prepared a bit better for it, mm. I'd have probably looked to almost get somebody in so that I could step away. Because yeah. I, I had to do an earn out, yeah. um, which is pretty common in most acquisitions. But I think if I'd have foreseen it a bit earlier, I could have maybe got a sort of faux director in yeah. to take over and I yeah. could have probably had a bit of a cleaner exit maybe. Yeah. When we sold when we sold our sports with Ben, I had someone in place that I took yeah, a step perfect. back. And then there was there was no earn out for me perfect. personally. It was hundred yeah. percent upfront. It was a 
a lovely feeling. But that comes with experience, it, I it, guess. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, exactly. So if I was to do yeah. that again, then you would then yeah, correct. put that in place. When when was so it, obviously when selling a company, it always comes down to how much. How did you value it? Because everyone who owns a company, you value it a lot more than you probably normally get for it. Yeah, you just make how, it up, don't you? You just make number up. What you, were you, you thinking? Do. I think um, I think it used to flip. I had a rough idea because I knew in tech it wasn't unreasonable to get between an eight and a ten. A bit times yeah. ten. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, so I was kind of like, well, there's a rough figure to work off. But then you're having that conversation with Mrs. You know, with a glass of beer or whatever at the yeah. end of the day, and going, "Yeah, but fucking hell, if the offer that a million would take that." Yeah, one. That's <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's funny, it's, isn't it's it? It's a reality. Like yeah. you're thinking, well, that's still going to fucking change my life. Yeah. you know, I could nearly buy Scunthorpe for yeah. that. <laughs> so you're kind of thinking, like, don't know where to go here. <laughs> but but then you get greedy as well. Cause yeah. You're like, yeah, but fucking hell, if they offer yeah. me ten million quid. That'd be a different. That'd be another complete. Yeah. Yeah. So it's hard. You sort of. You got to be careful. I think that with anything, particularly with selling a business, don't be greedy. Like mm. you've got to be happy with what you're getting. They've got to be happy with what they're getting. Mm. But don't be fucking greedy. Mm. Like I think I see so many people think they have to hit a particular number. Um, a friend of mine was adamant he's going to sell his business for fifty million quid. Adamant, yeah. like you know, got loads of investment off the back of it. Uh, his business is now dissolved. Yeah. So it's like, well. You know, he probably he might have been able to get an exit a bit earlier if he had not been as adamant about yeah. going for this crazy yeah. dream, um, uh, and just sometimes knowing what it's worth. And I think one of my biggest fears was always, would I regret it? Mm. Um, my mum's a very risk averse person. She was like, "Well, would you? You know, are you going to be happy walking away from your business that you know your baby?" Blah blah. I was yeah, because like, well, yeah, it's fucking loads of money in yeah. the bank. Just out of my first daughter. Yeah. COVID was just kicking off. Mm. So my ass was Great twitching. Timing, yeah, because yeah. yeah, yeah. the, the CEO even rang me and went, just so you know. Oh, yeah. of course. Yeah. You, like, so they so approached I sold you in, in the August 20, in the 2019. Yeah, correct. And you actually sold it in May. May 2020. And so that was two months into the whole yeah, crazy world. Yeah. So like it could have easily just, the ass could have fallen out of that. How much did you sell it for in the end? So it's multi-million, so it's four. Four mil. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Eddie, that's an amazing story. Yeah, no, yeah. It was a good, a good result. Amazing story. How did they pay you? Did they pay you? What percentage did they pay you up front? So uh, what did I get? I think it was 50% up front. Yeah. So you got then, a couple of mil in the bank. Yeah. And then an earn out from there. So it was just state. The rest was stage, basically. And when you do an earn out, what restrictions have they got on you? And how long do they want you to do the earn out for? It, it just depends on, on the acquisition. So mine was, um, it was just staged over. So, you know, stay a year, you'll get... 25%, stay another year, get the other 25% kind of thing. Okay. But it, it does vary for everyone. Yeah. Um, so you weren't put under pressure to hit targets, were you? No. So this was the other thing, like, I landed on my feet a bit, really. Yeah. They, <laughs> it changed a bit from when I first joined, but it was a no-brainer for me. They said, right, Eddie, we want to give you a, a whack load of cash. Mm. We're going to give you a month, like, an absolute ridiculous wage, which, to be honest, if they'd have offered me that, I'd have probably just fucking given them the business. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> That was the irony. Like they'd offered, we didn't negotiate the wage till after the sale price. Yeah. I was so like, it's a Brucey you, bonus. You've fucking done that the wrong way yeah. around, lads. Like, yeah, yeah, you yeah, could yeah, have yeah. literally chopped it in half. <laughs> um, and they said, we'll take off all your customers because we want to migrate them onto our platform. Yeah. We don't want you to do any marketing, no sales, no customer service. All we want you to do is look after your team and keep making the content. Mm. So I was like, 
That's the fucking fun bit. Yeah, brilliant. So you're going to give me a whack load of cash, yeah. pay me a ridiculous wage <laughs> to look after my team and just do this thing that we find the easiest. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And obviously at that time, you know, my creative team could do it with their eyes, you know, their eyes closed and their hands behind the back. So I didn't really have to do a great deal. I just kind of watched them drawing all day mm. and animating all day. So, so you kept your team together. Did the team have to move over with Tupi? Um, yeah, so yeah, all moved as in, into their company, stayed same, you know, same office and same team. Um, but they all got, you know, a nice little tickle, yeah. got pay rises. Um, so they've all done well out of it as well, which is good. Did you give any uh, shares out? Or did no. you give 100% shares? No, so yeah, I retained 100%. And that was, that was an interesting part in the acquisition, actually. Um, as part of that, that sum, they were like, oh, we've just carved out this much money to give to your employees. I was like, but that, that's my money you've carved yeah. out to give to the employees. Why don't, why don't you carve some money yeah. out of your business to give to the employees? <laughs> I, yeah. Like if I was going to give them shares, I'd have given them yeah. shares. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So there's just like, there's, it's interesting now, once you've been through it, you can see some of the little cheeky yeah, moments moves. where, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you get entrepreneur's tax relief? Yes. At 10%? Yeah. So when yeah. you got it, was it 10% on the first mil or the first two mil? No, just the first mil. So the first mil you had to pay 10%. Yeah. And the next three mil you had to pay what percent? Oh, well, I can't remember what it is now. Is it like 40, 50% or something? Uh, no, no, it wasn't that high. I know, but, but it was, it was, it's... It's high it, enough. It, it, well, it's one of them where you get the money into your bank account, you're like, fucking hell, mint. And then yeah. you have to then... Whack a chunk out. Yeah, and you're like, what? Can you remember, can you remember what percentage it is? Is it between, is it? It's is not, it not 30%? It, it might be 20, 30, I can't 30, remember off the no, top of my head, but it yeah. was, yeah. It's it was, enough to piss you off. It's to, enough to yeah. make me cry, yeah. Yeah, to go, my God, yeah. yeah. What, was your, what was your relationship like with the company that bought you? Did they, did they tell you afterwards they thought you, they got you at a steal? But did you tell them you paid way too much? <laughs> no. Um, no, we both we both kept that quiet. No, to be fair, they were they were really good with me. Been really good with the team. Um, to be fair, it's really interesting. Part of the acquisition, I look back and I think, fucking hell, like, I was a, a bit of an idiot. Really, there was a we hadn't yet agreed the price on what the sale price was going to be, and um, they were flying out on the Monday to to come to the UK and have a chat, and. I was obviously concerned, didn't want to upset the team because that was going to cause problems. Yeah. And I emailed him on the Sunday and said, uh, you know, your current offer is nowhere near, so don't bother getting on the flight. Is that what you said? In not in so many not, words. Really? Wow, ballsy. Um, what, month, yeah, well, what month was this? They've, they've contacted you in probably, August 19. Um, I don't know, probably like Feb or March maybe. Really? And, and you hadn't discussed how much to that point? We had and we had like there'd, there'd been some like musings around okay. numbers but it wasn't fixed and yeah. i and i was like you know the number that's currently on the table is what not it? i can't remember maybe like two and a half three maybe so you maybe so you were being ballsy there because originally you would think god i forgot a mil happy days yeah. actually you've got if you'd you offered got, me that salary yeah, yeah i've got no, more think, confidence as time right, went I think on it, yeah probably yeah. And I, I think because it was happening i was then getting it advice from people who'd actually been there yeah so rather than trying to navigate it myself i was actually going well actually we've got a profitable business we'll turn over this next year i think we can do this etc cetera, etc cetera. and yeah why not be ballsy almost mm. um i like it yeah could have yeah. gone backwards though come to I've that. done the same it can can backfire but, but yeah if you're on a but you got to back uh, do you know what it was i think as well i i they'd come to me mm. i hadn't gone looking to sell my business they'd come to me and they'd come to me probably too early i think in my head, if I was probably going to look back now, I probably needed another year mm. to get things set up, like 
hiring of someone mm. and, and whatnot that would have really set me in good stead to, to negotiate in a different position so I actually I was kind of like well do you know what if it falls away fuck it mm. like I'm quite happy building my business mm. that's not gonna bother me and I also had a bit of a fallback position on the other um the licensing negotiation mm. so that was like well if I don't take that I can take that and then that's gonna give us an extra whatever it was I can't remember a few hundred grand yeah. turnover yeah um without cannibalizing the business because we'd sort of structured it in a way that mm. would work so I kind of was like well fuck it mm. like, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get one chance to do this so let's just go were you emotionally attached to your business no, I wasn't. And I think that's really important. Very. Because that, that was part of that thing that I said earlier about my mum was like, oh, you're not going to be concerned about giving away your baby. And I was like, well, no, because I'm not passionate about cybersecurity. Yeah. I've never fucking done it before. Yeah. I'm just blagging it. I like my, my passion is business. I love yeah. business. Yeah. So actually, was I asked about giving it, giving it up? Not really. Like, obviously, built a great team, love the team, but still speaking, keep in touch with them, still yeah. play football with a couple of lads. Yeah. Um, but you know, was full, I full kit scunt up? Yeah, yeah, full Sucks kit pulled up. Yeah, no, <laughs> oh God. There is, a, if he's listening, he comes and he wears a full and a uh, Wambasaka kit. And I'm like, of all the people, he won't be listening. He doesn't know how to take the piss What's out of his name. I don't actually know. <laughs> it's just a group of lads. We all just turn up on a Thursday and uh, we just, it's just a random Quite sort of social group. And uh, Wambasaka. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so no, no emotional attachment. Um, and I think if you are, if you want to sell it, you need to not not Agreed. have it. Agree. Just going back to the figures there, six hundred grand turnover in year four. What net profit were you doing out of that six hundred oh, G's roughly? I can't remember now. Probably. I don't know. Probably not much actually, mm. because I think so. I think on that we it could have been very high, yeah. but we were just reinvesting, reinvesting. Yeah. So we were we were hammering loads of money into developing our own platform, uh, like a sort of new updated. I won't bore you the details, but yeah. a new updated platform that could do some of the stuff that the bigger boys could do as yeah. well as our content. So we were spending loads on like R&D. We were putting loads more money into the production values because they were getting better and better and better. Yeah. So it probably wasn't that much. Mm. So, it, you know, the valuation was literally just on turnover, like on recurring revenue, really. Because that's interesting. You think you've done 600 G. Say if you, this argument say you did 10% net. Yeah. Just for argument's sake, yeah. because you're reinvesting back in there. You're looking at 60 Gs. Mm. And you sold it for four mil. Mm. So yeah. they were buying the brand, the you, the content, the future of your company. Yeah. And they were, well, they were in the weren't. That was the weird thing. They weren't, because really they just mothballed at my company and just took the staff and the content. So really all they were buying was content that we'd already made. Yeah. And almost like the vehicle, the machine that made the new content. Yeah. Um, but you've got to remember, you know, these these companies, they turn over so much money. Yeah, that's peanuts to them. Yeah, it? exactly. Yeah. And like when they've got that that sort of peer insights platform that I talked about earlier where we've got all the reviews, mm. they do like a thing every year to say, this company is doing really well, but the training's a bit shit. Yeah. So, well, how do you solve that? Well, you just go buy a decent training company, oh, okay. don't you? So it's pence to them, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm quite happy being a, like a millionaire that no one's ever heard of. Yeah. Because until today, until today, yeah. <laughs> but you can, you can, you can make so much money. You don't have to build the next Facebook. You don't have to okay. build a unicorn business. Do you, you know? Okay. You can build mega successful business. I know a bloody multi-millionaire, and he lays fucking time at drive. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's yeah. like you can build mega successful businesses mm. doing stuff that 
is already out there. It's mm. already been done a hundred times. You just mm. got to do it better, Improve cheaper, it, quicker. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I totally agree. When you got that money in the bank, when it got transferred and you'd done the deal, what was that feeling like when you looked at that bank account and saw that? Because you're, no disrespect, a copper, you'd have been starting at 18, yeah, 20 correct, grand correct. for 10 years, maybe 30 grand. You've gone yeah. to law, maybe 30, 40 Gs. It, yeah. All of a sudden, you've built something. The net profits aren't huge. They've given you four mil. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're a multimillionaire. This sounds really weird. And people are going to be like, fuck off, you dickhead. Yeah. But it was really anticlimactic. The Massively. reason, the reason why, yeah. was, and more so, it doubly so, because I think if I'd have sold now when the world was as it is normally. Mm. Now, maybe it would have. But maybe I'd, I'd have done something to the market. Yeah. But I went in to Manchester City Centre to sign all the legal docs mid-COVID yeah. lockdown. So I'm in Manchester City Centre. There is not a soul there. Yeah. There's only one lawyer who's doing the signing with me. Yeah. I don't think we really meant even be in the, yeah. the law firm at the time, into the offices. So like, I've just signed the documents for probably one of the biggest achievements I'll ever have in my life. Mm. And... I'm just walking through Manchester City Centre yeah. on my own, on yeah. my Todd, no one there. It's a weird feeling, isn't weird, it? Weird, yeah, yeah, super weird. Like, obviously, uh, celebrated, you know, bottle of champagne and all that sort of shit. That's but, exactly what we do. Bought a bottle of champagne, done the champagne, and then when I was like, now what? Like, is that it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. I thought I was waiting for this big sort of, everyone was going to come out of the cupboards and go, okay, yeah, coppers yeah. and all that. And, yeah. Yeah. What was your first buy as a multimillionaire? That's a good question. Or what have you bought since being a multimillionaire? Uh I bought a new house, but we're still not in that. So despite that being two years ago, because it needs loads of work to into it. So that's that's one thing. Um, I think this is really important part about selling your business, actually. Like, I've been very lucky and I've sold for a decent amount of money, but it's not it's not so much that you can be a complete knob with it. Yeah. I can't go and buy Scunthorpe United yeah. as bad as they are. Yeah as much as I would want to and mm. try and do something after this. You know, you've got to be quite sensible with your money. Yeah. So I did, you know, bought a watch, but, you know, yeah. bought a car, that sort of thing. Mm. But um, trying to be sensible with the money is the most important thing, mm. I think. So although this flies in the face of what I'm about to say, I, I bought an old church in Manchester, but hear me out. Yeah. Um, the idea is to turn that into like a co-working space, a private office space. So the building works ongoing at that in a minute. Um, that's going to open in sort of June next year. And the idea behind things like that is to just be an investment. So I can put a decent amount of money, in, you know, the church itself cost me very little, beautiful old church. Mm. Um, but the work to, to convert it is yeah. obviously going to be quite punchy. How much do you pay for it? 200 grand. How much can you go invest in it? 600. Wow, okay. Um, so it's quite a punchy yeah. investment. Yeah. But I'll own the asset yeah. and I'll have the income from it for the mm. rest of my life. And more importantly, it's a it's a place for me to yeah. house my ventures yeah. um, at, you know, cost and whatever else. Um, and do the stuff that I'm passionate about. So I love, actually I love the business side of it. So I can get early stage startups in there. I can help provide support to them. Yeah. We can, you know, I can house my own you know, businesses in there. So it's going to be like a it's a sort of self-sustaining hub as well as an investment, yeah. which seemed like a sensible idea at the time. I'll tell you if it's a good idea mm. in a year. Yeah, I think um, it's a great idea. That, that's the theory. Because you're pumping the money and you're never going to lose that money. Someone's well, going to want it, even if you were wanting to sell it one day. And then correct. you're giving huge value back to startups. I'm passionate about startups and entrepreneurship. Me too, me too. Yeah, and I could speak to entrepreneurs all day long and start up yep. and help them and guide them and go, God, if you did that, that and that, you're going to save yourself three years. Yep. Or you can save yourself a quarter of a million quid. Yep. And it's easy for us because we've been there and done it and got the T-shirt. So 
What? Tell me a bit more about your new business, GoFounder. So GoFounder is pretty much exactly what you've just done, sort of nailed there, really. It's the idea behind GoFounder is to try and help people skip some of the steps. Because what I find baffling about entrepreneurship is we, oh, most people start on the journey alone. They do the first 12 months alone and they all have to learn the hard way. Yeah. They're all learning on Google. Sorry. They're all listening to dog shit advice from yeah. business coaches yeah. who've probably never started their own business yeah. um, or, or mentors who are absolutely useless. Um, I'm sure you've been approached by loads on the networking events and everything else. I, I had one uh, one approach me. Um, he wanted me to pay him two grand a month and give him 10% of my business. Um, <laughs> and his advice was to uh, to create all of the year's modules before I started selling, mm. which would have been stupid because mm. I might not have sold a single one. Yeah. So the idea behind GoFounder is literally just to help people get started and test their idea as quickly as possible. Because mm. my view is, you know, the idea is either a good one or it's not. You need to know whether it's a good one or it's not as quickly as possible. It'll yeah. save you time, it'll save you money, it'll yeah. save you heartache. And it'll also help weed out the people who are really ready for it or not. So GoFounder, it's basically a 30-day program to take your idea, validate it, get some early traction. If it's if it's shit, mm. we'll tell you it's shit yeah. and go back to the drawing board, think of another one, come back when, when you've got a better one free of charge. Or if it's good, we'll then go through the motions of all the stuff that you need to do to get set up, but quickly. Yeah. So you're not wasting your time. So yeah. get it registered, get a brand, get a logo, all that sort of stuff. And get it out there and get building it quickly. Because yeah. otherwise you can just, I think you can streamline and fast track that first year yeah. really easily. I think if I'd have done something similar to that when I first started, I'd have, I'd have been a year, two years mm. ahead. Mm. I love the idea of that co-founder. Love the idea of that. So if someone's out there listening and they're a startup, where do they go and find you? So gofounder.com is where you can find um, that sort of launching 30 program or I'm really active on LinkedIn. So Eddie Whittingham on LinkedIn. Eddie, I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. Me too. Pleasure. Yeah, it's, been, it's been a real insight for people listening. To, this is how business can be done. Like you're saying, you don't have to be a Facebook, you don't have to be a unicorn. You can build something that someone wants and all of a sudden you get acquired and your life can change. Yeah. So anyone out there who's stuck in a job, what advice would you give them? Uh... Don't stay static too long. I think you need, if you've got an idea and you've been burning a hole in your pocket or the back of your brain, whatever it might be, you've got to figure out how to give it a go as quickly, as cheaply as you can, or you'll never know, mm. or you'll do it in five years time, but you might have missed the opportunity, or you'll or you'll just think where you could be in five years time. Yeah. You don't have to risk everything. You just have to take some action and you're never gonna, you're never gonna achieve anything worth having if you stay in your comfort zone. Yeah. Absolutely. Amen to that. Mate, this is a huge success story. Thanks for coming on. No mate. pleasure. Thanks for having uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And hopefully West Ham will be playing Scumthorpe in the cup one day. Well, yeah, we've blues. got to get the first few, through the first few rounds for that though, mate, <laughs> which is highly unlikely. Good man. Safe journey back yeah, up to Manchester. Cheers, right, cheers Eddie. Nice one. Take care, mate.